this week on the Divided Opinion podcast. I was really disappointed with Madrid, as I have been against PSG in the first leg, as I have been against Chelsea in that second leg as well. I mean, you don't get to Champions League semi-final without being a half-decent team, and I think people just need to take a step back sometimes and realise the level of opposition they're playing against and how difficult it is. It's not... We're not, it's, this isn't F1. We don't engineer football for the spectacle. The spectacle just comes, it happens. It doesn't, we can't force teams to play a certain way. Answer, if anyone had any questions around what Thiago does and what he offers a team in the modern game, last night just answered those questions. Let's hear about what the Westie rebuild is. What does Eric Ten Hag need to do? Who needs to come in? Who needs to leave? How long How long you got? Hello and welcome back to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. This is the show where we discuss, debate and analyse the latest within the world of football, all from the perspective of two football fans with divided opinions. My name is Joel, and as always, Westy joins me. How are we, Westy? All good? Yep, good, mate. Good. How are you? Yeah, not bad. All good. No change here, really. Um, we were going to start off the episode with a new segment. We weren't really sure what to call it. Um, something like getting getting what we wanted, basically what we wanted to get off our chest from the last week. So I'm going to start. I don't think Westy's got one for today. But what's been getting on my nerves over the last week? I've been watching the Premier League, and it just seems... Some teams have checked out. And I, I just don't think... I don't know. It, it, I've seen it in the, the Leicester's goalless draw to Aston Villa at the weekend. I was obviously there. And it seemed both teams, it was like a almost like a, an exhibition match. I think we saw it in that Leicester and United game as well. And also Palace's draw to Leeds on Monday night. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Westy, but I just think it's shocking. I really do. I mean, if you look at a team like Villa, I mean, I've been disappointed in Villa in general, to be honest. They've fallen off the pace dramatically. I know they haven't got much to play for, but this is a rebuild for next season. It's players trying to put themselves at the forefront of Steven Gerrard's mind. And also Crystal Palace as well. They're on the verge of... I mean, I don't know what their record season is, but I imagine it's around where they have been and they were probably on the verge of beating that. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Am I right to be annoyed? Um, Yeah, I think you have because... um... You know, it's, it's some footballers might turn around and say it's only natural. I mean, you wouldn't know until you're in our position. It just happens, um, which is which. Like you can sort of understand in a little way, but in in general terms, you've got you've got fans, you've got people bringing their kids, paying good money, travelling up and down the country still to come and watch you and support you until the final game of the season. So, yeah, I think the 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 minimum you can give is hundred percent effort and commitment and at least show like you want to sort of be playing still because like you mentioned I've I've watched a load of games recently it's not even just like a lack of effort it just seems like there's no intensity to the games and it really you may as well just call the season off after 32 games I think this is a a new thing as well I I don't seem to remember 
like the Prem, it always seemed that it doesn't matter, regardless of you're playing for anything or not. You just you give it your all every week. It's the Premier League. You yeah. want to just finish as high up as you can. Mm. I mean, I know there's no kind of tangible return for a Palace to finish as high up the up the league as possible. I know they're not pushing on to the European places, but it is. It's a pride thing, and I don't know. I think that I don't know. Maybe it's just a sense of entitlement. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I was, I did actually see something about Palace. I heard a stat the other night and. It was amazing to think, obviously, the the difference in how 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 well they play from sort of Hodgson to Vieira, and um, it turns out they're actually one point worse off this season than they were at this stage last season. Really? Yeah, incredible. Under Hodgson. Yeah. That, how does that even work? Where no are idea. they at the moment in the league? I mean, uh, that is I crazy. Think about thirteenth, twelfth or thirteenth. Think, but yeah, I, I thought they would be at least five to ten points better yeah. off this season, but. No, but you know, but they seem to have really fallen off the pace, Palace a bit, and the same as same as Villa. I, I suppose it's that thing, isn't it? Of whether what do you want? Do you want points or do you want to watch a spectacle every week? And I know that Palace fans would argue that the football that they're playing under under Vieira is in, like isn't comparable to Roy Hodgson, regardless of the points of on course, the board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's just what I wanted to get off my chest. Um, let us know what you guys thought. And if there's anything that's been getting on your nerves um, within the world of football, you can let us know at Divided Opinion on Instagram if you want to interact with us. If you want to see some daily content, um, articles, etc., match reports, head over to Instagram at Divided Opinion. And also, if you're enjoying the podcast and you maybe want to see or you want to be notified when a new episode drops, make sure to follow the podcast on whatever podcast provider you are using. Right, so today we're going to be talking about the Champions League. Obviously, Liverpool beating Villarreal last night. And we also had Man City beating Real Madrid in a, in a one for the ages, another one for the ages in the Champions League on Tuesday night. We're also going to talk a little bit about Arsenal and the, the, the couple big results they had away to Chelsea and at home to Manchester United. And then also we're going to discuss Newcastle United, what the future holds for them, and maybe Eddie Howe. Also then a few transfer news, and Westy's going to take us through his ideal transfer window for Manchester United, what Eric Ten Hag needs to do in his rebuild, who needs to go, who needs to come in. And yeah, it should be a good episode. Should we get into it, Westy? Yeah, let's go. Nice one. Right, we'll start with Manchester City versus Real Madrid. Obviously 4-3 to Manchester City. City dominating. Madrid again starting slow and with pragmatism. Has ser- it has served Carlo Ancelotti and his side well up until this point. But City would definitely prove the toughest test to date. Did you expect Ancelotti to adapt his tactics at all? Um, no, not particularly. I mean, I, I, I think what he's done is it's, it's normally worked. Spent, I think you look at the group stages and then obviously at times in the knockout stages for Madrid this season, it's... Is they looked like times when they were going to go out. I mean, they looked dead and buried against PSG in both Real Madrid. And I think it, with Real Madrid, it comes to a point where they have got PSG obviously and Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. They've got a really good team and obviously some amazing players, world class players. But when you're coming up against like a sort of a, almost like another level of teams like a Liverpool or a Manchester City, you do sort of have to play that pragmatic style and then just sort of rely a bit on scraps and that your individual mm. brilliance is going to bail you out a bit. And obviously, I, I think there's, I still think there's a massive sort of mentality thing with Real Madrid in the Champions League where teams do face them. And even though Manchester City are probably 
they are superior to Real Madrid in terms of quality and how they can hurt you. But mm-hmm. I still think sort of like your that European royalty and um, just it's just, yeah, it is like almost like an inferiority complex when people play Real Madrid that they're never out of a tie because they can always come back and I think it's a really big dangerous I think the second leg is a really dangerous game for Manchester City at the Bernabeu mm. I mean it's just invaluable isn't it having that that mentality where you just know that you can get goals and you can make a difference on the big stage on the big nights and you'll have players that will step up Yeah. but for me I was watching a game and I was I mean it was all City City yeah. absolutely dominated Real Madrid I mean if you if they didn't have Benzema and the the firepower up front with Vinicius and Benzema, you just wondered where on earth Madrid were going to get anything from. I mean, I know that sounds very simplistic, but they generally across the board defense they look really untidy. I mean, Alaba for me showed the first signs I've seen. I mean, I don't watch him a lot, so if you watch Madrid more than me, you probably maybe you've seen it before. But it was the first sign I've seen of a fullback playing centre back with that. It was the, the the Jesus goal, and it was really poor. The Got way caught he, in no man's he, land. Yeah, he positioned his body completely wrong, allowed space for, for Jesus, and Jesus didn't do particularly well either. It was kind of a lucky bounce. And yeah, I just. I, I was really disappointed with Madrid, as I have been against PSG in the first leg, as I have been against Chelsea in that second leg as well. But they just seem to get over the line. I mean, Benzema, I mean, we've kind of run out of superlative to describe Benzema, don't we? The guy yeah. every week just seems to do it. That kind of fl- just directing the ball goalwards, that little flick he does where he gets across in front of his man. He's just the best in the world at doing it. Or the best in the world at the moment, I think. Can we agree on that? I think. Yeah, I think definitely striker I mean, in, in that position. He's got to be. I think him and Mbappe are probably both performing at the highest level at the moment. Mm. But obviously, I think if Madrid do end up winning the Champions League, Ballon d'Or is a shoe in for the Ballon d'Or, isn't it? Yeah, I think that goes for most people. I think if Manchester City win the ba- um, the Ballon d'Or, uh, the Champions League, then I think <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne is going to be sort of on the top of the list. I think if Liverpool win it, I think Mohamed Salah will be there. I mean, it's. I mean, imagine like imagine what Salah, what the award Salah will win if Liverpool go on and win the quadruple. Mm. Oh, just he just doesn't bear <laughs> to talk about, does it? Doesn't bear to think about. No. Um, uh, yeah, it, I think well, obviously City. I think the the Fernandinho replacement of John Stones was quite a a big part of the game and had an impact on the game for sure, both in a positive and a negative sense for City. Obviously, they did look untidy in possession, City, and although they were kind of all encompassing in attack and and dominating and the pressure that they were putting Madrid under I mean it was relentless but in when they were on the ball and in, in in their own half they were kind of yeah just untidy and it's unusual and you don't really expect to see it in a pep side I mean I don't know if you kind of identified a reason for that I mean they started the the midfield was it was kind of like a fourth it was almost like a four three three hybrid there you go. The word hybrid. That's if you divided opinion, bingo. You can tick that one off. Um, they, they had this hybrid system of the four four two. Well, yeah, four three three, and then it almost went to a four four two with a De Bruyne as as a second striker. Yeah. And I think that really does bring the best out of Jesus as well when he's got that that presence next to him in De Bruyne. And De Bruyne really does have that presence of an, an almost a number nine, a Benzema, someone like that. But then it was Jesus. Um, 
that Bernardo Silva would almost drop in kind of like a double pivot with with Rodri when they were in possession. And I don't know. I don't know what that was because City just weren't comfortable. John Stones at right back, he didn't look comfortable anyway. And then he did get injured and had to go off. Obviously, Fernandinho came on. He added assurance in possession. And it, that was definitely needed, but then obviously lacked recovery pace. And then was ultimately exposed by trickery, by the trickery and pace of Vinicius. Um, and Vinicius, along with Benzema, they just seem to be carrying Real Madrid's attacking prowess. Sorry, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think it seems to be the, the, the rest of the, the Madrid side are almost, they seem to just stand and kind of marvel at Vinicius and Benzema. And they don't really offer that much going forward. I mean, I know there's obviously examples of like that Modric through ball to to Benzema in the previous round. I don't know if if you what you think about this, but I just I don't know. I don't think the rest of the team are really offering much at the minute. Mm. It seems to all be Benzema and Vinicius, and they, they're leaking goals as well, Madrid. I I think it's it's a case. I think when. I think if you probably watched them play again in La Liga against sort of like the sort of mid-table fodder or whatever you call it, where they're going to win most weeks, you probably would see a more expansive Real Madrid with other players chipping in and playing with a bit more flair. But I think, like like we mentioned, when they're playing against a, a team with a, a high level like Manchester City, I mean, they're almost you sort of probably go out there and think almost designate them two players and sort of accept from the off that if we're going to get anything here. They're, they're going to be the two players that are going to have to sort of do it all on their own. We can sort of chip in with a bit, but when you've got the quality of Man City going forward and in midfield, I think most of them will probably just reserve to just playing pragmatically. And then the other two are up there, sort of feed Vinicius the ball and hopefully he can link up with Benzema and they can provide something and maybe a midfielder yeah. like Modric can join. But I think in the second leg, I think Casemiro was a big miss in the first leg. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Camavinga was in there, and it looked like he struggled a little bit with the pace. And obviously, he's still... he came on. He oh, came did he on come on? Start... Yeah, they came... started with Valverde, Cruz, yeah. and Modric. Yeah, Modric that... was the Cruz was the deep line midfielder. Yeah, and, that... and Cruz, sorry, and Cruz is. I mean, he's obviously still a brilliant footballer, the technically ability and everything. But I think with the pace of the game, when you've got people like Bernardo and De Bruyne sort of running by you, and Cruz is going to be almost like he's stuck in mud. I think mm. Casemiro will provide in the second leg bit more confidence for everyone around him like Modric and Cruz to sort of express themselves a little bit more so uh, yeah. I think that yeah I think that was a one of the main I mean Manchester City were by far the better team but Real Madrid could definitely blame a little bit of their sort of uh, yeah. poor performance on Casemiro being out yeah and I think that wasn't helped as well with the way City played I mean they do it against a lot of teams but they, it was it was particularly evident on Tuesday with them playing the wingers extremely wide uh, which then creates this huge amount of space in the midfield and it almost leaves the Modric, the Cruz and the Casemiro or um, the Valverde sorry in this kind of no man's land where there's just players running everywhere and it is just these fluid systems seem to almost be Madrid's kryptonite um, and it's just yeah City's the kind of personnel compared to, to Real Madrid there's not really Madrid didn't really have that player to get hold of the city players and those the city runners and but but it by far wasn't a it wasn't a strong city team really if you looked because you know how important the likes of Cancelo and Walker are yeah. 
especially Cancelo, in causing overloads on, on the left-hand side, coming inside, going out wide. And he's another player for opposition defences to factor in. And they didn't have that. And he'll be back next leg. I think he was suspended for Tuesday. He'll be back next leg and he'll be a huge weapon. Huge, huge weapon. And I completely agree. Cruz, for me, he almost seems the one out of the three that's possibly aged the worst, maybe. And I know it's obviously, they're all due to age at this point. Like, it's no kind of, it's not a negative on, on Cruz. The guy, he's not, he's a human. You know what I mean? He's gonna, there's gonna come a time when the three of them are gonna have to retire. But yeah, it, it, I don't know. They were kind of off the pace against City. But we'll yeah. see what happens in the second leg. And the facts are, all they needed to do was stay within touching distance of City, make sure there was still a game to play at the Bernabeu, and there definitely is that. It's going to be an incredible game, incredible. Talking about City, though, um, yeah, obviously I've said they were wasteful in possession, but they were also wasteful in front of goal. Mares had a chance to, I think Mares could have had a hat-trick. There were a couple of times where he, people thought he could have played it when he didn't, and then also, obviously, Foden did get a goal, um, they, yeah, they had chances, City, but they were just wasteful. Is this further evidence why a Haaland is needed? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think probably in these big games that you probably see that more. I think in the Premier League, you get away with it when you're playing sort of bottom of the table teams. Um, you can play with a false nine, you can play with a midfielder in that striker position, you can play without a striker, and, it, and we've seen that it works and they can still score five or six goals. But when you're playing in this Champions League semi-finals, finals against these other elite opposition, and they've got the, the striker like Benzema on the other side, you definitely do need someone with that quality to... When there's when you're only getting maybe two or three half chances in the match, you need someone to put that, that ball in the back of the net. And someone like Jesus, or if you're playing like a Foden in that false nine there, they're probably going to get a few chances. And they're obviously still quality players, but they've not got that natural instinct to finish in mm. the big moments so yeah I think it. I think City definitely I think they will get Haaland and I think it'll be a really welcome addition I think with City it does almost have the feel sometimes where obviously it's amazing to watch these fluid systems not playing with a, a, an out and out number nine and a, yeah having places that, players that drift in and, and swap round hybrid again <laughs> it's amazing yeah. to watch but it's not always the most productive is it no I mean, and there's a reason why Real Madrid, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they've kind of been played quite a pragmatic style of play for, for quite, like this seems to be kind of inbuilt in Madrid. Am I right in saying? Yeah, I mean, especially since uh, sort of like Ronaldo left, I mean, they've had to sort of revert to that. But I think even when you saw them through, yeah. the, through the, the years of Bale, Benzema, Cristiano, I think they all they were all pretty pragmatic. They were obviously, they were great going forward, but a lot, a lot of, of moments, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And they always relied on a really solid core and defence. Mm. Yeah, I, I I, just, I think there is an argument to be had that, I mean, there's obviously an argument to be had, look at the success <laughs> of Real Madrid, but there's definitely an argument to be had that that is maybe not a better way of playing. And I'm not telling Pep to rethink his tactics. Yeah. I love watching Pep's teams. But it's kind of that thing with City is when it works, it works, but... There's a lot of playing around, but there's sometimes not that kind of killer instinct. And that is what a Haaland will bring. But then it also opens the debate of, does it take away from the kind of the... The build-up. The system, yeah, the build-up play of City. Does what's What are your thoughts on that? Do you think there is 
uh, an argument that bringing in a Haaland and out and out number nine could be counterproductive for the for the for them as a collective. Yeah, it definitely has a potential. I mean, you can look at it from two ways. Where sort of, but like you say, City have never never really been a team that sort of plays the balls in behind. They're sort of a build up, slow build, kill, like death by a thousand passes, and then get one across the box, and that there you go, it's a goal. Mm-hmm. But um, with Haaland as well, they just walk it into the net sometimes, don't they? Yeah, and Haaland's sort of main strengths are being on the halfway line, getting played in behind, running in behind. And if you actually watch him, obviously he's a fantastic footballer and he's going to be going to be one of the, the greats of the game of our generation, probably. But his link-up play and his build-up play isn't quite there yet. He's still very raw. And for someone like Guardiola, who's so sort of, it's just like, so, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Meticulous. Uh, yeah, meticulous. So sort of, uh, everything needs to be perfect in his build-up. The, yeah, the, meticulous. The, yeah, the the length of passes, um, the weight of passes, and plays in each positions. I just don't think Haaland fits their mould. I think Haaland would probably be better off suited at somewhere like Liverpool. In all honesty, mm. um, but no, I think they're going to have to sort of adapt and change their way of playing in certain matches. But it's certainly not a it's not a it's not a horrible problem to have. Is it having Erling Haaland trying no. to trying to sort, <laughs> trying to sort out how you can play to his strengths. How you can fit in the 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 most exciting prospects in world football into your team? Yeah. I suppose it just kind of. I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm I'm not really I'm not a a European expert when it comes to football. I've watched a fair bit of Haaland, but is he kind of a will he will he sit will he literally stay as like a target man in that middle of the pitch? And yeah, because that that takes away a zone for the likes of Mares, the Fodens, those players to run into. Yeah. And that is definitely going to change their game because if you've got a player that is more rigid in his positioning, that means that the rest around them can't be as fluid. There's going to be a zone in the pitch there where you can't really go into. Yeah. So he, so he is is he like that? He's a striker that sort of he's a, he plays in the last man. He's always looking to yeah. on the shoulder trying to get him behind. And obviously there's there's going to be times when he will drop in and sort of link play but that's not his sort of forte and yeah, Man City going to have to really sort of adapt and Maybe make make another couple of signings to sort of build around him. I mean, maybe you might see a little bit of a transition period to Man City this summer. You don't know because one signing like Haaland can sort of beg the need for another two or three mm. to yeah. sort of really accommodate him. And so yeah, it's going to be interesting, but it's definitely not a not a, not not a bad problem to have for Pep. No, no, we'll move on in a sec. But I I do think thinking about Haaland and like his obvious strengths in terms of getting into the box, headers, etc. Riyad Mahrez is going to be huge for, for ha- Haaland, I think. And those yeah. kind of in-swing crosses into the box. He played really well against Real Madrid, Riyad Mahrez. I mean, I know I said that he missed a lot of chances and he did and he'll be frustrated with them. But he did put the ball into the box for De Bruyne's opener. I think it was the quickest in a in a Champions League semi-final ever. I think 1 minute 34. Yeah, I think Mahrez will be huge. Um, I'll tell you what, I think another question really is, as well as... What was, and we can talk about this because this is just, it was a really interesting game. It was a game for the ages, um, and probably more so than the Liverpool game, which definitely had its talking points. But is that why? Why couldn't City take the sting out of the tie? What do you reckon that is? Is that just a, a factor of is it a self doubt thing, or is it purely because of how good Real Madrid are going forward? Is it because City haven't done it at this at this stage at this level? 
I don't know. I don't know what, yeah. if you've got any thoughts. It could definitely be a mindset thing where it's, to, it's Real Madrid that I mean they're always going to be in the game. And I think once you start missing one or two chances, it can sort of play on your mind, especially if it's stats for an individual player. But um, I don't think it's anything uncommon for City. I think obviously we've seen them sweep teams aside, but we've also seen games where we they have sort of dropped points from losing, uh, from missing so many chances. I think if you recall the Liverpool game a couple of weeks ago in the in the Premier League with the two two, I think they could have been five and up by yeah, half time. No, you bang on, you bang on. And it's a problem that they need to fix. And obviously, signing Erling Haaland will fix that to an extent. But it might be a mindset thing. I mean, I mean, they would, they'd be so much better off in the league and in the Champions League. They'd already be in a final by now. They'd have already been the Premier League champions if they had this problem fixed. But mm. it's certainly a bit, it's a little bit alarming in the big games for City. But then again, you're yeah. talking, you're talking about Manchester City here, where everyone's sort of annoyed and disappointed that they've only scored four goals against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final. I mean, if it mm. wasn't for the three goals they conceded, albeit one of them was a penalty, which was silly defending from Laporte, the handball. To score four goals, you'd normally be pretty chuffed with it. Yeah, but I suppose when you concede three, it kind of cancels it out, doesn't exactly, it? It's basically yeah. one, nil or one nil, really. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when with kind of Pep's team, and obviously the first kind of example of a Pep team we had was that Barcelona, kind of 9 around that period. And they it really was death by possession at that point. Death by passing. And teams, Barca, would, they'd get a goal or two and they literally would take all the pace out of the game and they just pass it around and it was that kind of robotic kind of passing that we do see with City where there's very very little mistakes yeah. or at least when they're not under pressure anyway when it's a game like Real Madrid that's where we see the mistakes come in I know Pep's team it isn't as focused around possession anymore it's slightly more direct it's still they're still excellent in possession but I just wonder if that's a, a thing that Pep could bring in more more of a focus on Maybe that is just a personnel thing. That Barcelona team is obviously, arguably, the greatest side of all time. So, yeah, it's hard to hard to draw a comparison, isn't it? Yeah. But, yeah, we'll move on now to the Liverpool versus Villarreal game. Obviously, a Jordan Henderson cross deflecting fortuitously off Purvis Estepinan over Ruli in goal for the opener. And a tidy Sadio Mane finish engineered by Salah sealing a routine victory for the hosts. What you got any initial initial thoughts from the game, Westy? Yeah, I think Liverpool were really good. Um obviously they didn't really get out of second or third gear, but I don't think they needed to. Um I thought the tempo, the the atmosphere, everything added to it was fantastic and yeah, I think it, it, I've seen a lot of people giving Villarreal a lot of a bit of a hard time. I saw the mm. people on Talksport, Kundi and uh, yeah, Jamie O'Hara calling them a disgrace and stuff and I mean you don't get to a Champions League semi-final without being a half-decent team and I think people just need to sort of take a step back sometimes and realise the level of opposition they're playing against and how difficult it is I mean you look at Villarreal they didn't get didn't really get a sniff last night lost 2-0 but didn't still didn't get a shot on target didn't have a shot on target still put up a good fight still put 100% and they're calling. Mm. I know you don't want to revert back to Manchester United, but they did a far better job than United did a week before getting back at the four 0 That's yeah. what I mean. You have to remember the the level of team you're playing against. And Liverpool are just they just suffocate anyone, and it's it, it was practically impossible for Villarreal last night. It's just talk sport, mate. It's just dross. It, it's absolute dross. And I'm convinced 
these guys, the Kundis, Jamie O'Hara's, they're told what to say before going on air. Or maybe not told exactly what to say, but they're told to be controversial. To say that Villarreal are a disgrace, it's just it's just wrong. Yeah. They've, they've, I think I read on Twitter, so it's not a verified source, but apparently they've got like the wage budget of a Burnley. Like they've yeah. got the wage bill of a Burnley. Yeah. This is a team that should be celebrated. The football shouldn't like. It's not. We're not. It's, this isn't F one. We don't engineer football for the spectacle. The spectacle just comes. It happens. It doesn't. We can't force teams to play a certain way. No. Like it, it's just if, ridiculous. If, if Villarreal had gone out all all firing last night and open, they would have lost to seven or eight nil. I mean, what what do they yeah. expect? And and like you say, Villarreal, they've done so well to get here. I mean, they've beaten Bayern Munich, they've beaten Juventus, and apparently they had eight percent of their the town's population in the away end last night. It's crazy. Well, I think the the whole population of of Villarreal or wherever it is, um, fifty five, fifty two thousand. It, it, it would have fit in Anfield with with seats remaining yeah I mean that's just crazy yeah it's obviously yeah Jurgen Klopp's side were just re- relentless from the off um, Villarreal they defended narrowly but they also defended wide as well they covered the wide areas by playing the deeper wingers obviously was it that Esther Esther, Esther P- Putin, Pinan was yeah. he on on one side yeah and then Coquelin on the left Coquelin yeah. left and then obviously you had uh, Foyf as well playing on the right hand side yeah he was at right back wasn't he yeah um, they they are impressive defensively, um, yeah. Villarreal, and also when you look at, I don't I don't mean this with any disrespect, but if you just look at com- kind of some of the players are, are very average. We've yeah. seen them in the Premier League, the likes of Coquelin, the Capoues, the I mean Albiol, what's he thirty seven and he's still playing week in week out for Villarreal and just defending like a like a warrior. They are absolute warriors, the team, and one fourth as well. What you know, Emery's managed to get a really like a, a solid right back out of him, and he was an absolute head case at, at Spurs, and yeah. kind of just a bit of a nightmare. And he seems to, yeah, I think he almost, I think he relishes a challenge when it comes to players, Unai Emery, because you look at some of the players, Serge Aurier as well. He's another player that most managers would would run away from. Yeah. And, it's just impressive, it is, and yeah, it's not what you want to watch, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I was saying it in our last podcast, I'm not a fan of upsets, I was thinking to myself last night, I'd much prefer to be watching Bayern Munich in this position, but it's the way it is, it's the way the competition's gone, and they are definitely still in the game. One goal, get get, get the first goal in the second leg, anything's possible, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I, I was sort of really... Thought it was quite comical. I mean, I've seen them do it a few times. Obviously, we had them. United had them in the in the group stage, and we played them away. And it was a quite a close game until about ten minutes ago. And the Ruley, the keeper, the I, I was quite impressed with him to be honest. Other than the, I think he probably could have done a little bit better for the deflect. I feel like he could have got a stronger yeah. hand on that. Um yeah. Sort of flapped it a bit. But I saw in the second. I think they're analysing it at half time as well. He, he loves to just sort of casually. Play the ball out into the central midfield, and he did it against United. I remember in the group stage, and he got dispossessed, and Ronaldo went and scored. But I saw him do it two or three times early on last night, where he picked up the ball instead of going long, he just rolled the ball into Capoue, and then you've instantly got seven Liverpool players pouncing on him. And I think yeah. 
after the second or third time, about ten minutes in, he just got the ball and just thought, you know, I'm gonna lump it up to the <laughs> up to the striker. That, that was it though. Liverpool, they're just at, they're just frightening, aren't they? And the, their ability to just wing the win the ball back high at the pitch, it kind of completely just ruined any of of Villarreal's chances of playing out from the back or even sustaining an attack because they yeah. didn't really, did they? No. I mean, Dan Juma, you've been raving about Dan Juma, haven't you? And oh, he didn't really show up last night. I can't remember raving about him. I think he said he was a you did. He, was a, he was a half decent player. I didn't think he's a very good player. No, oh, he just he just didn't do much last night, did yeah. he? Um, but yeah. all the praise has to be on Liverpool's side, there, doesn't it? Um, I I think they almost kind of they the Villarreal's defending and their resolute defending. It almost invigorated Liverpool. A lot of teams you see in that position, you see the first half Villarreal defended amazingly. Liverpool kind of restricted to the to a, a few chances, not really many clear cut opportunities. I mean, Thiago hit the post, Mane had that header. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold was getting a little bit of success down the right. A lot of teams could get frustrated by that and start yeah getting impatient and and rushing play, but City will see. Liverpool were invigorated and it almost forced them to be even more creative in the way they attacked. And that was what was so impressive for me. And it's kind of, it is that, the, the just how well-versed Liverpool are when they're in their attack and the kind of the attacking avenues they pursue. They attacked yesterday, they were going wide, they played centrally, they, they played expansive, they played direct. Um, and then they played also short, and kind of between the lines as well. And then they'd come short and then they'd go in behind and then they can cross into the box. That's what makes Liverpool really just a scary outfit. And scary if I'm a United fan or someone that doesn't want Liverpool to get the quadruple. I wouldn't say I'm in the camp of someone that really doesn't want them to get it. I'm not really too fussed. I mean, I probably wouldn't want them to get it, but um, they are scary, Liverpool. And on cup nights as well, and the Champions Leagues, the FA Cups, that kind of ability to to just play so many different ways, no matter how your opposition set up against you, it's frightening. It really is. How frightened are you, mate? Terrified. Yeah. Yeah, the prospect. It's absolutely killing me. I, I think the one thing that might save everyone from the quadruple... Is Manchester is, City winning the Premier yeah, League? Yeah, the Premier League, yeah. Because the Champions League... I kind of, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't know where after that because that that Liverpool City game a couple of weeks back, that was a real turning point for me because I expected Liverpool to come into that game and and just dominate City and kind of take the game City as they have and shock them and and disrupt them, but City didn't do that. They didn't. They played so much better than Liverpool. But then that was in a period as well where. Liverpool's performances weren't catching up with their yeah. results. But then again, you look at the semi-final at Wembley where Liverpool absolutely blew Manchester City away. Yeah, and no, that but... makes you think if if it if it does, maybe the likelihood is that it is going to be a Liverpool Man City final, possibly. Uh, providing what happens in the second leg at Madrid, what will happen? I mean, I I think over a course of thirty-eight games, Manchester City are a better team than Liverpool. But I think if you're going to look for a final in the Champions League final, I think a better one-off game. I think Liverpool do just just suffocate Manchester City, and they they are better in that one-off occasion under the pressure. Yeah, and I think there's evidence to say that that's true. Um, I I think that Premier League game shows that 
the city they shouldn't be obviously they shouldn't be counted out but I think they are, are, I'd I don't know who I'd back to be honest I think that FA Cup semi-final was a little bit of an anomaly to be honest it didn't yep. seem like City really cared. I don't no, know why. They rested a lot of players. And I think if you I think Edison doesn't probably concede two of the three goals that they, they conceded. No. no. Um but yeah, no. The ideal situation push- is uh if I have to go Man City to win the win the Premier League, Real Madrid to win the Champions League and Chelsea to hopefully come through and win the FA Cup. What Liverpool just get left with a League Cup. Yeah, I'd like that. That is the that's the difficult thing, isn't it? At this point, is when you start. That's why the the players like Van Dyke, etc., they just don't want to talk about the quadruple. Because they could Cause easily the minute just... <laughs> you start thinking you've got it, but they're still in a position where they could lose it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lastly, we'll talk about Thiago. Obviously, instrumental, and I think last night. What well, last night was so important, uh, and and why it was just. Such a significant game for Thiago was it really proved what his what his role can be and I mean there's I think there's a lot of the players like Thiago nowadays a lot of people like to say oh they're not very productive they don't suit now at the today's game it's just kind of fancy passes that and nothing really comes of it but yesterday was a prime example of why Thiago was an unbelievable signing from Liverpool and. Why he he still players like Thiago still have a place in this game? Um, when you're playing against a, a side like that in the last stage of the Champions League as well, to sit back with a low block, Thiago, there's no better player in world football, is there? No. And his importance it just rises in those games. And I mean, even if he never played another game, last night was an example of why Liverpool needed a player like him. Um, and I just think it's great to see. It's great to see that players like that still have a place in today's game, in this athletic game where it's all kind of robots and it's so focused on physicality. Yeah. The the kind of the tricky players, the small little players can still can still do it. Do you agree? Definitely, yeah. I think starting probably from that semi final, I think you've seen Thiago really sort of come into his own. I think obviously the United game last week, he sort of Boston midfield uh last mm. night again and yeah, I think he's if Liverpool do go on to do the unthinkable and win win the quadruple or even if they go and then win the treble or whatever, I think uh well, if they win the treble they'll be winning the quadruple, won't they? Um mm. but no, I think he's definitely been Liverpool's uh, I think Salah for, for the first half of the season was a standout player and sort of dragged Liverpool through and mm-hmm. sort of kept them within touching distance of City but I think since the sort of January, February Thiago's he's been Liverpool's key player I think really him and Diaz yeah. I, think, I think Diaz as well I think what a signing he's been he's just yeah. provided so much of a different dimension to that front line that, that, yeah. not that they already needed well I mean Mane I mean what I mean Firmino now I mean he's sort of totally just took a took a sort of yeah. reserve role hasn't he and even Jota has found himself second fiddle now to Diaz I think that really shows how well Diaz has settled into the Premier League no, it, it's scary with Diaz and it, it's it's scary like Liverpool's scouting network and their, their scouting team and their ability well, just their, their ability in the transfer market is just scary like yeah. it really is because they don't spend a lot of money uh, and they always they pick man- up these to cater yeah. to their needs don't they yeah and Naby Cater as well has done pretty well recently. Yeah, he's he started better. to come good. But yeah, no, I, I just think last night for Thiago just really did. 
answer if anyone had any questions around what Thiago does and what he offers a team in the modern game. Last night, just answered those questions. Yeah. Is there any more you'd like to add on that game? Um, no, not at all, no. No? Right, well, we'll move on to the Premier League. And obviously, a couple of the key results that have happened since we were we were speaking on the podcast, or since last episode, I should say. Arsenal securing a big results away to Chelsea and at home to Manchester United. I know the United results are almost a given, really, at this point, with the way United are playing at the moment. Um, I don't think you'll be you'll be objected to that. But yeah. Chelsea, for me, that Chelsea result, it felt like the Arsenal's biggest post Wenger era. Don't know what your thoughts are on that. Um, Did you expect them to win? Uh, no, I, I expected uh, Chelsea to to win. To be honest, well, then again, I'm not sure. I mean, Arsenal coming off the back of three losses at that time, they're a bit of a wounded animal, and I think Chelsea were as well. I mean, obviously, exiting the Champions League the week before, and um, mm. but I think Chelsea's form has been so indifferent as of late. You couldn't really call it, but I did still think that Chelsea would just have enough at home. But um, no, Arsenal were, were really good at that game, and obviously they carried it on by with beating United, and they've got themselves back in sort of pole position almost. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Eddie Nketiah stepped up, the man for the for the big occasion. Um, I know I've seen a lot of criticism around Alexander Lacazette. Uh, there's still a lot of debate around Aubameyang and whether they should have got rid of him. It's there's still a way to go, isn't there, for Arsenal? I think in the the last games, I think they've got when I mean, they've got Everton last game of the season. They've got, got Newcastle away to play. They've got West got, Ham to play. Yeah. Spurs as well. Yeah, that's the last four games. So, it's, uh, so they've got tough games. They've got a tough running. Very tough running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, has your kind of per- perception of Arsenal changed at all? Do you um, think they I, have they impressed you? Maybe I surprised mean, you? I mean, maybe? They've, they've impressed me all season. To be honest, I mean what. They've obviously they they spent the most money in the in the summer transfer market, so it's not sort of a case of where like this is completely just sort of crazy what they're doing at the moment. Mm. Uh, obviously, you spend the money, you sort of want a return. But I think in all fairness, them they spent money on players that they probably thought were going to be coming coming good in maybe two or three years. It's they're signing for the future. Obviously, they signed Lukonga, Ben White, etc. Who who else did they sign? It's uh, Tommy Asu. Tommy Asu. Tommy Asu. That was been, a January, wasn't it? Yeah, Tommy Asu's been missing for a while. But um no, I I think I think they've done really well and I did think after them three losses on the bounce, I thought they were probably down and out of the Champions League mm. race. I thought it'd maybe come down to maybe United, but I thought Spurs, maybe United and Spurs might battle it out, but obviously them two results for United, the two losses has totally just took United out of the race and mm. Arsenal look Arsenal look good for it now and but I still think Tottenham now probably we'll just yeah, edge it that, because of the running I think their running's a little bit easier well it comes down to that North London derby doesn't it um, yeah. and we'll see what happens it's a huge game um, who who are kind of Spurs tend to, to get the, the, the North London derbies don't they recently I'm a, I'm a um, I think what was uh, well Arsenal won the first one this season 3-0 yeah oh yeah of course um, um but I think in ge- in general terms, the last two or three years before that, I think Spurs have had the better of it. But Harry Kane seems to step up in the North yeah. London derby, doesn't he? Um, we can talk briefly about obviously the the Arsenal striker search is well underway um, ahead of the transfer window. 
Gabriel Jesus obviously was rumoured to be leaving Manchester City. Well, it looked like he was definitely going to leave Man City. Obviously, he went and scored four goals against Watford. I think the day the day it broke that news, he went and scored four goals. Obviously, scored again in the Champions League. So it's yet to be seen whether that maybe changes Pep's mind and whether he maybe be keep, be kept as a a second striker behind Haaland if he was to sign. Do you think Jesus would be the right kind of profile for Arsenal to go in for? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult because he obviously he's a he's a good striker. He's a, he's a great squad player for Man City to have. I mean, maybe that he might translate to being a a focal point of Arsenal's side. But you've just got the question: is is he obviously he's scoring against Watford four goals, but he playing against a team that's got conceded no end amount of goals this season? It's just a case of is he do Arsenal want to sign someone that's guaranteed to score twenty five to thirty goals a season or do they want someone that can also just chip in with another fifteen to twenty maybe and with mm. with, with the other players it's it's difficult but you wouldn't be able to tell until he got into that team I think no I, I mean from my first kind of inclination is that he wouldn't be the right man Jesus I don't think I think they need a a more reliable player someone with a bit more. I'm not saying seniority in terms of their age, but maybe just a bit more authority in the way they play. I think that's why I like the look of like a Darwin Nunez. I think that's why I thought like a Vlahovic would have been perfect. Aubameyang. And I mean, uh, yeah, someone, <laughs> <laughs> someone with that. Nah, not Aubameyang, but someone with that. You know what I mean? Uh, Jesus just doesn't carry that presence, does he, as a striker that some no. strikers do? And some strikers have that feeling of. You put them in any team and they'll score goals and they'll lead from the front. And Jesus just doesn't seem to kind of, I don't know, he just doesn't seem to give that off, that vibe. And uh, maybe it can change. Yeah. Maybe with more, well, I was going to say with more responsibility, maybe he improves, but he could, he had the opportunity to have heightened opportunity, uh, responsibility at City. And he, the fact that he hasn't been able to take that number nine role, he kind of, I think it, it's kind of representative of him as a player and yeah. obviously what Pep thinks of him um, because if you can't I'm sorry but if you can't push and get that seal that number nine role when City have got no other number nines rivaling you yeah I don't know I don't know if it bodes well right we'll move on now to Newcastle United obviously in red hot form consecutive wins over Wolves Leicester Crystal Palace and Norwich and yeah, just really impressive and seem to be able to, to grind results out. Obviously, the Brazilian duo of Bruno Guimarães, 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 yeah. and Joel Linton inspiring their side. And I, I, this is going back to like what we were saying about Aston Villa earlier in the team, earlier in the team, <laughs> earlier in the episode. I think it, it's impressive when a team's not really got anything tangible to play for and they keep pushing. Mm. And that's what Newcastle are showing here. And is this a case of these players? This is a team of players that realise that they're all playing for their life, really. Yeah, yeah, they're playing for the future. And uh, I heard Eddie Howe talking before their game against, I think maybe it was Leicester, I think a couple of weeks ago. And they, they asked him about how, how uh, the, the sort of the spirit is so high and the togetherness. And he and he did say, like he said. I think he summed up our point about, or your point certainly, about the players almost already being on the beach, sort of checking out. And he said that can't be a thing in football. He said we're 
that people say you've got nothing to play for. He said, you've got your family to play for. You've got Newcastle United. You've got the supporters. You've got the history of the town, the city to play for. And I think he summed up perfectly. And yeah, they are playing for their futures because there's going to be so much money to be spent in the summer. But I think, I, I just think the, the takeover, everything that's happened, the Mike Ashley leaving the club and the fans feeling like they've got their club back has sort of galvanised everyone in the club to just do better and do give 110%. And, I think you're seeing it on the pitch as well. I think they're coming up against teams that probably have checked, probably have checked out, maybe. And Newcastle, even if it's just not through quality, but just through, through pure fight and passion, are, are sweeping teams aside. Mm. And they really don't have anything to play for. They are in no man's land now. Like yeah. they can move up the pitch. And to be fair, being in the top half of the table, up the pitch, up the table, <laughs> being in the up in the up half of the table must just feel like. Just so alien to to Newcastle fans, yeah. And to have some optimism must feel alien to Newcastle fans as well. It's just it's, they deserve it, I think. And it it's it's a club that's been kind of laid dormant for years, and they're a huge club, got a huge fan base, and yeah, it, it's great to see whether you agree with the 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 source of of their money or not. Um, which definitely has a lot of there's a lot of debate to be had around that and whether they should have been allowed that takeover I'm not sure but yeah from a purely fan perspective from a purely football perspective they seem to be doing everything right and I think we spoke about in the podcast before but I think their their transfer movements was really impressive in the summer and they kind of they didn't just go for the big names they didn't go for the Coutinho's these kind of players they went in for the players that have got strengths. It, well, they've got experience in the Premier League. They also weakened rivals as well as a result. And then they did bring that, that Bruno Gomez signing. That seems to be the one that really kind of symbolises their intent, Newcastle, and where they're going to go. Because Bruno Gomez is going to go right to the top. The guy's an absolute... He's just a, it's a, just a top, top player. Um, yeah. And he's got everything as a midfielder. And him and Joel Linton in midfield as well. Joel Linton, I don't know. I can't remember a player like Joel Linton. Like this kind of career trajectory. To go to a team, play up front, not do anything. Become kind of almost just surplus to requirements. Didn't make any kind of an impact. And then moves into centre midfield. And his kind of attributes in centre midfield aren't even attack minded either. He's like the top, I think he's, him and Declan Rice were the only players to have 30 plus kind of recoveries, um, it was progressive carries or just, just a load of kind of defensive minded stats. I don't know if anyone springs to mind for you that reminds you of Joel Linton. He's just, it's no, unheard of really. Crazy, yeah. Amazing. I mean, the, the transition has been, uh, it's amazing to think he was probably like the Premier League's biggest meme, wasn't he, for the, mm. for the previous two years and I think when when the takeover happened, I think most Newcastle fans probably thought like, yes, we've got money, we can finally replace people like Joel Linton. Yeah. And obviously he's just I think you've got to give it credit to him as well. I think I think you've seen it with a few players in the Newcastle team. I think I've been really impressed with Almiron as well. Uh mm. he scored a great goal against Palace last week. Yeah. And he's another player that sort of was a bit of a bit of a people saw him as a bit of a laughing stock, wasn't wasn't really that good of a, a signing, wasn't performing that well and yeah, it's amazing what what just a bit of positivity in the club can do to a certain players' attitude, and I think Eddie Howe as well. He's 
he's been brilliant. I think he's really proved to people that he isn't just a middleman. He's not going to be a stepping stone for Newcastle. And I think that was a lot of people were guilty of accusing him of that when he first took over. They thought, yeah, they'll probably get him in maybe for a year or two, and then they'll look for look on for bigger things. And I think he's mm. proved that he can do the job and he can take them uh, as far as they want to go. Yeah, I think what's been so impressive as well is that it hasn't just been the focus on the new players coming in. He's also, if anything, put more focus on the players that are already there and maximising their output and their influence. And, and yeah, just getting so much more out of these players that really did nothing for years at, at Newcastle. Mm. This was it goes on to what I was going to ask, ask you, anyway, uh, to be fair. Um, and I've seen some some people talking about it, some pundits saying that Eddie Howe may be Newcastle's Mark Hughes at Man City equivalent, whether he'll be that, that middleman and whether he will be back to the full as well. Mm. So do you believe that he isn't? He is going to be there for the long run? I think, yeah, I think, he, I think he's got... Uh, certainly got the coaching quality. I think he seems like a great, great man manager. He's a people's person, it seems, and he understands uh, the club. And he's almost—you can tell—he's already made a really big effort to sort of get on board with the fans and everything. And I think, yeah, I think you can tell by just the way. It's not just passion. It's not just um, sort of giving hundred percent that's getting Newcastle through this. I mean, if you actually watch it now, they're playing some really attractive football, and that's with players that half of them aren't his players I mean wouldn't, what, mm. wonder what they'll be able to do once he's got his own own starting eleven that he wants in the transfer market and he, I think then we'll only be able to judge him Do you not think that he's got experience managing these kind of players these kind of not small time small time but like just the, the players that are, are used to playing at the, the lower lower ends of the of the of the of the table um, with, with less of an ego maybe do you not think he's already got experience doing that? He's already proved doing that at Bournemouth. And we haven't seen him with these big egos, these these players and fighting up the other end of the of the table. Do you think that's maybe yet to be seen? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it, it probably is yet to be seen in terms of the individual side of things. But I think the, the, the massive difference he's gone from managing at Bournemouth in front of 11,000 at the Vitality at a club where expectations aren't high and there's no real sort of pressure I think everything's just a bonus for Bournemouth when they're in the Premier League and mm. obviously now I think the way he's handled himself since being at Newcastle in front of that massive stadium and the pressure that comes it's with the it the expectation isn't it yeah, the, and the Newcastle have almost got the expectation of a of a top team but yeah. haven't been able to ever ever back that up really And yeah and I think the thing with the Newcastle fan bases as well that it's not going to be a, a case of if, say, if Eddie Howe was in the door at Man United or something where the player power is sort of massive at that sort of club. I think Newcastle fans, it's a pretty grounded club where they'll, if anyone is that, if any players are like that, they'll sort of get found out very quickly. And I think Eddie Howe seems like a strong enough bloke to sort of pick them out and weed them out and get them out of the club. And mm. I think the fans will get on side of Eddie Howe and sort of back him to the hill. Mm. It's interesting because I've seen the owners kind of talking down the the amount they're going to spend in the summer I just wonder whether it's maybe a bit of a double bluff yeah um, I mean it's got to be a gradual uh, thing you can't go and spend 250, 300 million on 13, 14 new players it's not going to work I mean it needs to be a gradual thing mm. they spent around 100 million in January um, and we know there were a few players that they were interested in that they didn't quite get over the line I think the likes of Sven Botman comes to mind 
Mm. Uh, there's definitely a few players they're going to be going back in for. He's in. And there's it. also AC Milan now, uh, isn't he? Is he going there? Is he? Yeah. Is that definite? Right. Mm. Well, I think they would definitely be sniffing around the likes of the Ericsons and the Coutinho's, but that almost kind of yeah, that wouldn't be the route I'd go down with them. I wouldn't go for these big names that are going to demand big money. Um, I think Ericsson's maybe an exception, but someone like Coutinho, I, I'd I'd stay far away from Coutinho if I was if I was um, Newcastle. I think they want those are the kind of players that will spoil that kind of equilibrium that that Eddie Howe's been able to create so far. Yeah, we'll move on now to Manchester United, <laughs> and let's hear about what the Westie rebuild is. What does Eric Ten Hag need to do? If you were his chief advisor, which I'm not sure why you're not, mate. I think you should be in there. More than um, qualified, and I'm sure the divided opinion listeners would agree with me. Yeah, at most. But clubs- I want to hear. And most clubs that would be totally out of the question, but I think I probably am a bit more qualified than most people yeah, up at, I've, I've at, at Old Trafford. Um, mm. Well, yeah, I want to know who needs to come in, who needs to leave. How well, long, yeah, how what, long what you got? Of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try and keep it um, concise. Um, yeah, all right, well. We'll, we'll start with who needs to go, mate. We'll it's a broad question, yeah. I mean, the list is endless, I think, of players that need to sort of go. I'd probably ignore the goalkeeper. I think the, the goalkeeping situation is okay for us. Whatever happens in terms of someone leaving, potentially Henderson, that's sort of out of the fans' hands. I mean, it, I think I'd be fairly happy with going into the season with either Henderson or De Gea in that. I think we're okay there. Well, you uh, can't sit on the fence, mate. What are you going to do? Henderson either Henderson's uh, got to go or he's got to be number one, hasn't he? I, I, I say I'll make a bold claim, but I don't think it's that bold because I think from the vast majority of what I've seen on, on online that this is the overriding feeling and this is by no way saying that I think Dean Anderson's a better goalkeeper than David De Gea but I think if we've got to make a decision this summer I think Dean Anderson they should get sell De Gea and keep Dean Anderson Do you think it's feasible selling De Gea with the money that he's on? Um, possibly not uh, where could you see him going? Maybe somewhere like Newcastle, maybe. <laughs> hmm. But I just think uh, I think people uh, will will say that that's a load of rubbish. De has been one of your best players this season, and he has. But I think if you the one thing that we've what's one of our something that's, I'm trying to think of a word one of our main Achilles heel in the, over the last five to ten years where we've sort of fallen behind these teams like Man City and Liverpool is because. We haven't signed players and built players on and brought them through that catered to the needs of the manager. And I think if you're getting out Ten Hagen and you want him to play this sort of possession-based, play-out-from-the-back pressing game, then you need a sweeper-keeper and you've got one there in the shape of Dean Henderson. Whether he's as good as a goalkeeper right now as De Gea, which he's probably not, but all round, I think Eric Ten Hag will probably fancy him more. You've got to make a decision whether what you want to do I mean do you keep De Gea and sort of risk holding that part of the pitch back I mean it's a really tri- tricky one yeah, this is what we're asking you mate uh, well okay and I'd love to sit and speak for hours and end about United's goalkeeper situation but what are you going to do um, I'm going to you can keep both of them can't you I don't know if you can alright maybe okay. send Dean Anderson out on loan Possibly alone for Henderson then and see how De Gea fares under the system and then come back to this in a year. Um, in terms of the other players, I mean, you go through the defence, you'd probably, I think, Eric Bailly's probably got his 
come to his time to leave. Phil Jones, um, Alex Teller should be out the door in no time. Aaron Wambasaka, unfortunately, I, I, I actually do quite like Wambasaka, but I just don't think he's probably got that next level in him, which is mm. fair enough. He tries his hardest and he's, uh, he's he'll, he'll leave his head held high, whatever he does. Dallow, I don't like him at all, really, but he probably will stay. You've got to think about, you've got to yeah, you've replace got to think about all depth. these players. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I think Dallow will stay. In midfield, you go through the midfield, I think you've probably got... I don't know who Matic is on his way out Pogba's on his way out so you don't want to start getting rid of anyone else because you'll be, be left with two midfielders um, and then I think Martial probably needs to go Jesse Lingard's going to go Wambat is off I think and mm. yeah like you say they're the players that probably will be leaving so what about the likes of what's Martial doing Martial I think he'll be I, I don't know you know Martial I mean most fans will probably want him to go and he probably will go but um like you say, it's a clean slate when the manager comes in, and uh, Eric Ten Hag might come in and look at him and say, "You know what? I actually really fancy him and think I can get a tune out of him." So you've got to give him a pre-season and time. Because Ranić did want to keep him round, didn't he, Martial? But Martial yeah. didn't want to stay. Um, yeah. I just wonder whether Martial is time to just kind of cut ties. It seems like a few of those players. It seems to just, yeah, it's yeah. just time to move on for both sides. Um, yeah, I think Cavani's so, yeah. obviously leaving. Cavani's leaving. Yeah, so there's going to be, I'd say, at least ten plays moving on in the summer. Um, yeah. But that's that's what we need. We need to have a clear out and replace them with a few young, hungry players that are going to bring a new sort of spirit to the club and a new sort of forward-thinking uh, attitude. So who fits that mould? Who should who fits United that be mold? bringing in? Um, well, looking at these positions, we need to strengthen. I think. I think at right back is probably one of the main main areas we need to strengthen. Providing someone like Wambasaka leaves, so um, there's no one that really stands out to me too much. But I think you've just got to sort of trust your manager and trust what they want. And obviously, there's loads of rumours about this Durian Timber from Ajax who can play centre half. He can play right back. So he looks like a a versatile defender that can. He looks really solid as well. Twenty years old, quick, strong, good in the air. So. Yeah, I'd be happy to see him come in. Um, Not a Jed Spence. Uh, Jed Spence, possibly. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you can. He's definitely he's, he's a he's a, uh, a low risk, high reward signing. Certainly at the at twelve million, I think we should mm. certainly be looking at him. So yeah, I'd like to see either of them two, maybe both of them. Timber can yeah. play centre back. I think there's loads of talk about Paul Torres, and I was actually I was actually quite impressed with him last night in 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 the general general yeah. match. But obviously, that's you've got to make a decision there who you who you want to play. I mean, there's going to be if he comes in, that's you're going to have four central defenders that want to play. Yeah, well, just give us now then, just give us your ideal transfer window for United. Just quickly go through the positions. Um, who, who would be coming in? Spence, Obviously realistic as well. Spence or Timber, probably a centre half, possibly someone like Pau Torres. Uh, midfielder, you realistically you're probably going to be looking at someone like Calvin Phillips or maybe a, a Bubakar Camara from Marseille. Uh, mm. So sort of a bit more unrealistic, maybe Tushinemi, but you never know. Um, and then I think a striker. I think I'd like to see Darwin Nunes, and then possibly um, another right another right winger or maybe another central midfielder. Someone like Ruben Neves maybe might be good, but you know it's. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I think the issue that United have gotten, it seems to be coming a, a bit of a pattern. We've seen it with Rudiger going to Real Madrid, that Ronald 
Arejo for Barcelona. Yeah. He's obviously signed a, a new contract with Barcelona. And now Chiuamini, it's it looks like he might be talking to Madrid. Not Madrid, talking to Liverpool. I know there's a lot of clubs in, interested in him and there's no concrete um, kind of links or anything yet. But it seems to be becoming a theme that United, their primary targets are probably going to go elsewhere and it's going to be the secondary targets that are brought in. And hopefully that is what a Ten Hag brings. Hopefully a Ranić staying around brings that ability to, to source players that are more unknown, that yeah, are maybe. kind of outside of the box. And I think that's what United fans and the board, everyone is going to have to get used to because you ain't going to get these primary targets. Mm. Oh, They're going to go elsewhere. I think I think we've still we've still got a, a fairly we've got a big pull. I think we can still source some of the big big targets, but I think like you just said, I think we need to sort of stay clear of that. I think we need to sort of fo- put a focus yeah, on. I, I I mean I think I'm not arguing I'm not arguing that United have lost all their kind of allure, but I think you'd be naive to say that United haven't dropped down the pecking order and that other clubs aren't a priority now. For oh, of course, no, no, I definitely agree. And I think, yeah, Rudiger's a prime example of that. Gets offered less money, goes to Real Madrid. And you just, I think now United, the issue with United is there was that kind of players had that that ego in them where they thought, I'm going to go to United and I'm going to be the player that brings United and this this sleeping giant, I'm going to bring them back to life and bring them back to the top of the game. But that kind of, even the players with their big egos are starting to think now, I've seen some of the players that have gone to United and have failed in doing so. And yeah. how some players have gone stale. And and that's the problem. It's it's now why a Ten Hag so important. And he needs to be able to prove to to these potential players and these players that he's recruited, he needs to prove that it is going to be different now. That United have changed. That this is, is, this is a new dawn. And it really is a new dawn now. And it's not just kind of a... Yeah, uh, a saying it's going to be a new dawn, and then it all the same thing happens again. But it's interesting, and I'm I'm interested to see if any of them come to fruition. Um, it's just going to be a crazy tra- uh, transfer window, isn't it? The summer's yeah. just going to be mad. You can already tell. I think a lot of teams have saved money from through COVID periods and started to get a bit more revenue back with fans being back in the stadiums and everything's kind of settled down a little bit now. It's going to be really really interesting. Um. We'll see. Is there any more you'd like to cover today, Westy? Um, no, I think we've we've uh, certainly got through a lot. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, it's been an enjoyable episode once again. Um, we've had a lot to talk about. Obviously, we will be returning next week for the second legs of the Champions League semi-finals. Um, I'm off to the King Power tonight. Got yeah. Roma. Well, European have, have a great time, mate. Have a great time. It'll be a night I to remember. It. It is Leicester City's first semi European semi final in, in their history. Feel honoured to be there, to be honest. I feel yeah. honoured to be able to witness it. There's gonna... certain Leicester fans that would have never be able to see anything like this. There's certain football fans that will never get to see their team in a position like this. Gabby Agbonlaw being one. Yeah, Gabby Agbonlaw. <laughs> I mean, if, if people haven't seen Gabby Agbonlaw, has been 
we're going back to talk sport. I mean, we should be, we should just be called anti talk sport at this point. That's what um, the segment should have been at the start of the show. Get off some of your chest, the idiots on talk sport. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I feel sorry for some of them because some of them are let down. I think you get people like Ali McCoy, Andy Goldstein, Simon Jordan. I think most, uh, some of them are really, really sort of know their stuff. But then that you get idiots like Jamie O'Hara on there and Jason Cundy that come on and just spout absolute nonsense. But yeah, yeah, Gabby Bonhor saying that Aston Villa he wouldn't want them in the Conference League. Honestly, from a fan's perspective, the reason I think this Conference League is so good is it gives all all these fans an opportunity to go and see their side in Europe. Yeah. And I'm telling you now, it's an experience that everyone should witness. And and I, I, I don't know, I, I was saying the other week that I think they should bring in a, and I don't know how feasible it is, maybe the, there won't be enough money in it, but I think they should bring in like a second division Champions League. I don't know how they'd work it out. Isn't that but honestly, league? every club, no, like a second division, like the Championship, like the, the second divisions across Europe. And there's like oh, a Champions League. Oh, right. I thought, sorry, I thought you meant like a, a second tier, no, like another Champions League for teams. Like, no, I think we've got enough European, so. like enough, the the three are enough. But I just think for these clubs that are in the the championships, the lower leagues, I think it's an experience that we should all have in terms of playing sides abroad. And there isn't enough opportunity for these lower teams to play abroad and, and test themselves against different teams and, and see different styles of play. Yeah. I think it's just it'd be good to kind of help see that happen. I think I think it would, and I don't know what would be a feasible way no. of doing it. I think they play too many games in the EFL anyway, don't they? I mean, forty-six mm. league games a season. They play every yeah. Tuesday, every Wednesday, so it'd be difficult to fit in. You're right. You nice are right. Nice idea, though, mate. No, it's a nice idea, and I, but I just think yeah. You got you. There'd be a desire for it in these lower leagues. If you were to say a. Like any any fan of a championship team, you're telling me if you didn't have like a little little away day to Spain or something like that, and I think people would get behind it as well. People would enjoy the fact that yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the lower leagues, but the problem is money just sways everything nowadays, doesn't it? Yeah, back and to there's not back to Gabu Bondor. He should concentrate a little bit more on his team finishing a bit higher in fifteenth because I tell you what, that's something I need to get off my chest. Nothing against well. I say nothing against Steven Gerrard, but that's all gone a bit, a bit of a, I don't know what word to use that can keep it, um, non-explicit. But but yeah, it's just it's gone, gone a bit under the radar. Or what, what yeah, you it's. Say? I was gonna say yeah. Anyway, but yeah, do you do you not do you not agree that that what? the there was a massive sort of talk about him going to Aston Villa and being this sort of like savior mm. almost, and yeah, they're fifteenth in the league and. They've, you think they've lost something like eight of their last twelve games? Yeah, or something. no, I agree. And we said it at the top of the episode, didn't we? About these players, the teams checking out, and that's the thing. You look at Newcastle and you see players playing for their lives. It's almost a similar situation at Aston Villa. It's not going to be as extreme of a clear out, but they're definitely going to spend a lot of money in in, in summer, and I'm sure they plan to anyway. And there's definitely going to be players coming in. And again, they had another chance of like these clubs. They finishing as high up the table is their kind of winning the league. For me, like as a Leicester fan, for me, I just want to finish ahead of the the Wolves, the the Villas, the Palaces, those kind of teams. I want to be top, best of the rest, basically. It's what you want to be. Um, 
And I think, yeah, I agree. I think he's poor. I think he's really poor. I'd be really disappointed if I was an Aston Villa fan. I don't think you can judge uh, Gerrard too much on it, to be honest. Um, I think time will tell with him. We'll see next season. He'll get more signings to bring in. Coutinho's dropped off the level a little bit. Um, I don't know if anything needs to be said about that. But, but yeah, anyway, it's been a really enjoyable episode. Thanks for joining me, Westy. Thanks, mate. No worries. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to follow the podcast. Click the notification bell if you want to be notified when a new episode drops. Like I said at the top of the episode, it's at Divided Opinion on Instagram. If you'd like to follow us for daily articles, um, posts, stories, etc. Ways for you guys to interact and have your say. Um, yeah, head over there and check it out. Thanks for joining us, guys. And we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.